Welcome to Blind Date with Knowledge. This is a weekly half-hour talk show featuring Queen's University researchers and scholars. The show is a platform for Queen's researchers to discuss the significance to and the benefits of their research on everyday lives. I'm Barry Kaplan, the show's host. In this episode, my guest is Amy Wu. Dr. Amy Wu is an assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical and Materials Engineering in the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Queen's. She leads the Biomechanics Cross Robotics Laboratory, which is abbreviated as BXRL, and is a member of the Queen's Ingenuity Labs Research Institute. Her research interests include mechatronics, human biomechanics, and wearable and assistive devices. One of Dr. Wu's projects, Rando the Robot, is a low-cost, bipedal walking robot with an open-source mindset. The goal of the project is to expand accessibility to and involvement in walking, uh, walking robot education and research. Dr. Wu has demonstrated this project at Queen's Park in Toronto, Maker Fair, Rome, and Science Rendezvous, Kingston. So hi, Amy. Welcome to Blind Date with Knowledge. Thank you very much for having me. A pleasure. So let's talk about the Biomechanics Cross Robotics Laboratory. Maybe you can explain what that is. And I, I just want to add a little bit more detail to maybe uh, how you answer the question. Is The website says we're interested in utilizing a first principles approach to understand the mechanics and energetics of human movement and to apply these principles to robots. So can you talk a little bit about, about that and what do you mean by first principles? Sure. Um, so if you take the way humans walk, how we locomote, um, it seems very complicated. So we have all these different interactions between our muscles, our tendons, our bones. You know, what is our sensory systems doing? Um, so from first principles means if we were to break everything down into um, so the simple components, um, what does that tell us about walking? So, for example, we have to interact with the ground. So how do we interact with the ground? What are the forces that are um, acting our, uh, on our bodies in order to have us walk? So uh, if you take walking, for example, you can have something very complex with um, um, with like the whole multi um, musculoskeletal system, or you can think of walking as simply um, an inverted um, pendulum um, mm. with forces acting upon it. Uh, so... Uh, so I think taking the fir- this um, first principles approach is really important to try and understand such complex behavior, and importantly, to take that complex behavior and uh, apply it to robots to make them walk and um, locomote just the way we do. Um, so the inspiration behind biomechanics cross robotics is um, there's a lot of really great research in understanding how humans move, how they um, balance. Um, we're pretty capable of doing so, even if there's um, slippery surfaces, for example, or and um, like perturbations that we don't expect. Um, but also, I think we could apply this to robotics, um, which um, being mechanical, you don't have to take inspiration from um, biological um, animals, for example. Um, but I think if you were to take the two, um, I think that could be um, like a third direction that uh, could really complement both uh, disciplines. So, in, in your particular application, um, yeah. with the research you're doing, do you have... Uh, uh, sort of biological or like a, a kinesiology kind of a background, or is your background more technical, uh, you know, mechanical, that sort of thing? Yeah, so my background is uh, more technical. I would say it's in mechanical engineering, um, but it has um, elements of other um, 
areas such as kinesiology. Um, so in my uh, PhD research, for example, we modeled the human body um, looking at the mechanics um, on it. We also um, looked at humans as a, a black box that we're trying to figure out what's going on. So if you take this box, you don't know what's in it, and then you perturb it and measure the output, you can get a sense of um, maybe perhaps what's in that black box um, and then model it accordingly. So we definitely view humans as, I guess, more mechanical systems um, and try to see how far that approach um, can predict how humans actually behave. Now, this model that you used, is this something that you developed yourself or is this sort of a, a sort of knowledge that's in the field at this point? Like, um, do other researchers use a standard model and do their measurements against that? Yeah, so I'd say it's more of an a- approach like, to have this, I guess not one single model, but more of an approach. So if you take a human body, you can start modeling every single detail of it, which people do and they can get very gain very fascinating insights into it. Um, or they can take a look at it and say, okay, when the foot's on the ground, there's this force that's acting towards, uh, say, this, the body center mass. So what does that mean um, for for walking? And so I think um, in the field, I guess there's different approaches between what people's specialties are. Um, and so one of uh, my background is also in um, controls um, theory. So I try to look at that sense also. So if we were to model humans as a a dynamical system, and then we were to perturb it, could we predict what happens at the end? And since all models are wrong on some level, we perform human experiments to try to see where the model matches and where it fails. Um, Also, the models let us perturb humans, because it's in simulation, more than we can with real humans, so we can also see what happens at the extremes. I'm interested in 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 sort of understanding this model more. Uh, When you develop the model, do you... Uh, look at differences between gender? Do you look at differences at age or body size? Because that probably would affect the physics, wouldn't it? Right, yeah. So a lot of my work so far, at least when we're trying to gain scientific insight into how normative behavior is, we I do study a lot of healthy um, young adult uh, humans. And so um, I try to get insights from what maybe a, um, like an appropriate response would be to, say, correct for a perturbation. Um, but then we could run the same test with someone who's perhaps elderly and maybe has balance issues um, and then help kind of see what the differences are and say, okay, then what is what is the difference between these two? What are they doing that's different um, maybe in how they're controlling their limbs, for example, to balance? Um, yes. So when you do a, a, so, uh, like an application of your research, do you go back to more specific models like the senior male or do you sort of average it out and uh, uh, I guess maybe that would depend on the application. It really depends. Yeah, it certainly depends on the application. So when we're trying to figure out in general what how humans behave, um, we, we don't look at gender differences and then we normalize for things such as leg length or mass. So we can normalize that out of our data um, and then average it to get a sense of what behavior would look like. Because right. yeah, it wouldn't be fair to average someone who's super tall and yeah. <laughs> super um, short, for example. Um, but in terms of application, so one of uh, my postdoctoral research was in designing a controller to help uh, individuals with a spinal cord injury regain mobility. In that sense, you can't average that data. There's just no sense. Everyone has different lesion levels, different capabilities when it comes to walking. So there you would have to do more subject, uh, subject-specific um, modeling. That was very interesting that you gave us that example that makes it more clear for me. I want you to talk about Rando the robot. Okay. I, I, I'm really interested in this. So so give our listeners an overview of, well, I guess you've given us a, a bit of an overview of the biomechanics and locomotion, but tell us what is Rando the robot 
how is it useful to us? Right. Okay. So, um, so Rando the Robot came about because um, I was at a conference and we were challenged to come up with a low-cost robot, say like a high schooler could build, um, that's capable of falling um, so it can't be always statically stable, um, but can generate locomotion. So um, Rando the Robot um, really is a, a demonstration of the um, a simple model of walking. So um, all it has is an um, a leg that uh, pushes off by um, extending its leg. So it's got a uh, motor that pushes um, ex- the leg down through a wire, um, and then that's it for how it moves. We don't control how the leg swings, and it just kind of relies on that pendular movement. Um, so one thing I really like about Rando is it really illustrates that the sim- one of the simplest models of walking can create steady-state walking. It can walk for a very long time. Um, the other thing I like is I, s- I feel like in, at least in bipedal robotics research, um, there seems to be a gap because it's really expensive. You, you know, everyone goes if you go out and buy um, a bipedal robot, it can be um, half a million. You know, it's it's quite a lot of. Wow. So I think that really limits people from doing um, robotics research and legged robots research. Um, so one of the uh, inspirations I think that that, ro- that the robot has is uh, if I were to have it be open source, so that people can build their own and then think carefully about how I build it. Um, then there could be more uh, robotics research um, because I don't think it needs to be expensive and a sleep machine, but maybe we could test our controllers on a simple robot. So one of the future projects I have is we're going to build a taller version of this robot and then have it walk with humans to see how humans and robots interact together. That's terrific. Blind Date with Knowledge is broadcast on CFRC Radio, 101.9 FM, Campus and Community, Queens Radio in Kingston. We're in Carruthers Hall. All the episodes of Blind Date with Knowledge are available on the CFRC website or the Queen's University Research website at queensu.ca slash research. I close out each episode of Blind Date with Knowledge by asking my guests to share something personal related to their research or their motivation associated with their research. So, Amy, back to you. Um, so I think one of my motivations is trying to just understand humans and how we work. Um, so when I was looking into what research to do, I was very interested in doing um, controls theory related research. And you can apply that to cars, to airplanes, to a number of things. But I was really fascinated how we can apply that to human behavior. Um, so that's one of the um, starting points of like, how can we apply what seems to be very theoretical and very abstract, and then use that to understand how humans move. Was there something in your history, your personal history growing up that got you interested in control systems? Were your parents engineers? Or was there some something that happened to you that got you interested in this? Um, I guess it was, I mean, I guess it's from taking courses and realizing I really liked matrices, which is a bit funny, but that's how it started. So um, just really like doing the math. And then what you do is if you can figure out the the equations of motion of something and then you can figure out how to control it, it's just very satisfying to see that all that works out and to, um, you know, you can predict like how you would control it. Um, different trajectories, or you can make things more stable um, that were previously unstable. So I think a lot of that really fascinated me. And I never thought about 
a human system, which to me was very complex at the time, as something I could simplify and apply these engineering tools and knowledge. When so. you were following this path in sort of the mechanical engineering side, were there particular people or books that you found inspiring that uh, opened your eyes, or was it just more of a hands-on discovery kind of a process for you? Um, certainly the community, um, starting my PhD, there's a big community of people who study both um, biomechanics and robotics. Um, and so just see, hearing and seeing the debates they have between the two. Um, and so I think a lot of it is just being immersed in these different types of communities. And so uh, sometimes you can go along and say only do biomechanics research, and then you can be very helpful that way. But then if we can use that, I think it's important versus you have also robotics who think there's one path also. But then if you interact with people who study biology, I mean, it's a really interesting way to do it together. So I think a lot of it also just coming to going to conferences and hearing all these different debates between like, do we need to have bioinspiration? Or we can just, you know, control everything on this robot. So it's really fast. I think where you see the uh, debates between the fields, that becomes really fascinating. And I think that motivates me to try to blend the two fields together and then move forward from there. If you had one or two sentences of advice for an emerging or an up-and-coming researcher in this area, what would you say? Um, I guess, um, yeah, um, I guess follow what you want to do, even if it um, seems to straddle two different fields. So, like, a lot of my work seems like I maybe don't belong. And, you know, how do you put me in a box, for example? So I do a lot of human studies, and then I also build robots. So where, what am I? And, I? and I think that's fine. Um, I think that's really fascinating to be in these two areas. So I think if you, so maybe sometimes you feel like people want to put you in a box and they can't, it's totally fine. Um, I think just do what um, feels right to you and what you're passionate about. And I think that would be the key to success. Hearing you say that, it's, uh, I have a smile on my face because I think that idea of interdisciplinary approach and the idea of expressing yourself through what you're doing is very sort of intrinsically satisfying and perhaps could lead to better research as a right. result of that. My guest in this episode of Blind Date with Knowledge has been Dr. Amy Wu, Assistant Professor in the Department of Mechanical and Materials Engineering at Queen's University. If you have a question about anything related to research that you'd like discussed by our guests, or if you have any comments uh, about today's conversation with Amy, please email me, Barry Kaplan, at bdwk at cfrc.ca. Thanks very much for tuning in. So still, we need to give the computer basic knowledges. Like, for example, we can train computer by let computer to understand a Wikipedia article first. And then once we get those models, computer can continue to learn, or we call it adapt to those models to different, like different language, different culture, different domains. Welcome to Blind Date with Knowledge. This is a weekly half-hour talk show featuring Queen's University researchers and scholars. The show is a platform for Queen's researchers to discuss the significance to and benefits of their research on everyday lives. I'm Barry Kaplan, the show's host. In this episode, my guest is Shodan Zhu. Dr. Zhu is an assistant professor in the Ingenuity Labs and Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Queen's 
where he leads the Text Analytics and Machine Learning Lab, which is abbreviated as TAML. He's also an affiliated expert with the Queen's Conflict Analytics Lab, is an associate editor of the journal Computational Intelligence, and is the program co-chair of the 33rd Canadian Conference on Artificial Intelligence. Dr. Zhu's research includes machine learning, natural language processing, deep learning, artificial intelligence. Prior to joining Queen's in 2017, Dr. Zhu was a research officer at the National Research Council of Canada. Hello, Jodan. Hey, good morning. Thank you for being on Blind Date with Knowledge. Thank you so much. As we mentioned in the introduction, your research interests fall into four areas. We mentioned natural language processing, machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence. I'm a layperson. What's the difference between those things and how do they interconnect? Sure. Uh, Natural language processing, or people know as NLP, is a subfield of artificial intelligence. Um, Basically, our task is try to enable or teach computer to better understand human languages. Um, so you can imagine if, um, uh, it sounds probably a little bit crazy, like a computer can understand language. Um, but you can, you can imagine if computer can really understand language, even right now, right now, probably in the future. So it can help us do many things. For example, computer can try to learn the knowledge we, we store in library by reading the books over there. Hmm. Uh, Computers can probably also read the most advanced recent research paper on medicine or medical domain to help us to try try to uh, provide a better medical services, or probably can read even read the uh, medical reports from doctors to help process those uh, um, those informations better. So there's some um, there's many uh, wonderful uh, dream in my mind to try to uh, enable computer to better understand uh, the language. Um, again, so it's a just subfield of artificial intelligence, and and it's also a frontier of artificial intelligence because you can imagine, um, try to teach understand to computer understand human language is such a hard problem because every day even we do not realize whenever every day we use English use language use other languages French Chinese other languages so we using language to describe things and those things have a lot of semantics or meanings. And also reasoning, we are doing a lot of reasoning every day when we use languages. So it's really a very hard problem like uh, uh, to teach computer to really understand the meanings, the logics uh, underlying the language itself. And in your training and, and in what you bring to the research that you do, you're identified uh, as a computer scientist. Do you also have background in linguistics and and uh, how humans developed and use speech or do you have to rely on professionals in that area yeah that's a very good question so my background is a computer in computer science and actually natural language processing is a subfield in artificial intelligence or in computer science um, but I do uh, learn some linguistics but my job is many uh, the main job is like uh, to develop algorithms, which uh, is going to enable computer to learn by itself about those meanings and reasoning I just mentioned earlier. Right. Now, we've talked a little bit about nat- uh, natural language processing, and we've talked about artificial intelligence and machine learning. We, I don't think we've really touched on deep learning. What is deep learning, and 
how does it connect to these other three areas? Yeah, that's another great question. So uh, deep learning is a type of machine learning which recently get very popular in, ter in terms like uh, it solves many problems much better than more conventional machine learning algorithm. So again, so um, machine learning is trying to teach computer to learn by, by itself. And deep learning is a type of machine learning which proved to be very, very powerful recently. And we are applying uh, machine learning and deep learning to try to teach computer to not learn other things, but also learning language. Mm -hmm. So uh, as I said, it's a two-way street. On one hand, we apply deep learning, machine learning to teach computer, to make enable computer to learn, understand language, or sometimes even generate the text. And on the other hand, it's a two-way street. So language understanding also present many, many great challenges for machine learning and deep learning itself. So if the algorithms, deep learning, and the machine learning want to understand language, they have put pushed forward the frontier of machine learning and deep learning also. So with deep learning, you're still developing algorithms, correct? Right. Are they different kinds of algorithms, or are you putting the algorithms together in a different way? Or I'm still not getting how it's... I understand the sort of the context of it, but I'm not understanding yet what you actually do when you do this process of deep learning. So uh, deep learning has another name. It's called new, deep neural networks. Okay. So this type of deep learning um, machine learning algorithm actually is motivated by the um, biological neuron in human beings. So basically, an artificial neuron, it's, um, it's, it's mimicked the real neuron. Uh, in a way, like uh, we have single neuron, we put all the neuron together, we get a network of neurons. So if you consider that every neuron can make some simple decision to decide to pass the information to another neuron or not, if you have a network neuron, like a, I mean, it's like a millions of even billions of neurons together, they can help make a very smart decision. Hmm. Tell me if I've I've understood this correctly. It, to me, I think one way of analyzing language would be to look for patterns and relationships between different parts of text. What you're describing here sounds more biological. It's sort of like creating a, a model of the brain and then letting seeing what it what it generates. Is that kind of uh, close to what's what's going on here when we talk about deep learning versus uh, uh, some of the other approaches? Yeah, it's definitely so. Some of the tasking understanding language is learning the patterns. But sometimes a pattern can become very, very complicated. So, for example, if I um, if I see something between between lines, and uh, there's some some meanings can be very uh, tricky or very uh, uh, it's very hard to understand. Um, so the patterns can be when the pattern becomes more complex, and uh, sometimes for some task like a sentiment analysis, or if you in which you want to decide the sentiment, like it's positive or negative, what's the emotion in the in right the with the tone of voice and how fast or slow you say something. Exactly, yeah. and even like a even harder problem like a sarcasm, sarcasm, right? So those kind of problems, it's a even very hard type of pattern. So some of problems don't have clear pattern. So neural network is going to help to capture. Uh, or to understand those uh, very um, very complicated, you can think about super complicated patterns, and, and by giving also giving uh, some probabilities to or some confidence to see whether uh, the understanding is right or not. Wow, interesting stuff. I want to turn our conversation to the law aspect. Um, uh, I know that uh, we've talked about the, your involvement in the conflict analytics lab at the Faculty of Law here at Queens. Can you? 
tell our listeners how the, how law and artificial intelligence uh, connect in, in your area of research? Yeah. So uh, it's my actually my uh, great pleasure to actually meet Professor uh, Samuel Dahan, so who is a professor from the law school. So uh, we when we talk together, so we meet together, we start discuss some common interest. Uh, again, so it's, this is I view this is a two way street. So on on the one hand, so uh, the technology we used here, um, for example, if a computer can really understand the text, the computer probably can also understand the legal text, and then help the lawyer or some other um, persons to make decision. So this is one way we try to apply uh, our technology to to the law, the legal domain. On the other hand, the legal domain uh, also present some challenge, a lot of challenge for uh, for natural understanding because you can imagine when um, when the lawyer make decision uh, if a trademark have uh, infringement or not. So uh, there's a lot of reasoning at the back. There's a lot of domain knowledge, we call it domain knowledge, which is legal knowledge over there. So it's very hard to compute for computer to to handle this. So that's that's also means that on the other ways, not only we are trying to apply our technology to the legal domain, but also the legal domain also present many challenges for uh, developing algorithms to do reasoning or to do to understand the meaning. And I would think with law, you you have sort of a difference between English Canada and French Canada with their law systems. Is is that a factor in in um, how a computer would analyze? Uh, the the text like do you have to write different algorithms for different countries or different uh, uh, cultural uh, context or is law law everywhere? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, basically, the the final aims to develop a machine algorithm is try to enable the computer to learn by itself. So still, we need to give the computer basic knowledges. Like uh, for example, we can train computer by let computer to understand the Wikipedia article first. And then once we get those models, computer can continue to learn, or we call it adapt to those models to different like different language, different culture, different domains. Um, but again, so uh, I don't want to um, make an incorrect voice over here, like uh, the problems, all the problems are solved. No, not yet. So um, this is still a challenge, how to adapt computers, enable computers to uh, to 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 handle the problem in different contexts, including culture, including different languages. And there's many, many challenging problems over there. Blind Date with Knowledge is broadcast on CFRC Radio, 101.9 FM, Campus and Community, Queens Radio, and Kingston. All episodes of Blind Date with Knowledge are available on the CFRC website or the Queen's University Research website at queensu.ca slash research. I close out each episode of Blind Date with Knowledge by asking my guests to share something personal related to their research or their motivation associated with their research. So, Shodan, the microphone is back to you. Thank you very much. Um, so when I was undergraduate student of, in computer science, so um, one professor actually um, tell us, like, uh, in the future probably uh, we have network, we have a wireless network, we have different type of network nowadays or even back 20 years we have internet that time so um, one important problem is like uh, what's what content is transferred in those network so to understand those contents is very maybe very important in the future so that's my professor uh, back like 20 years told me um, um, the, to analyze the content transmit in, in the in the in the in those network can be a very uh, important and the language I 
at that time, I regard language as one of those data, which very important data. So I was motivated by that. And I also hope my uh, interview today motivated some of you like uh, to really like uh, to push forward, like uh, to enable computers to better understand uh, our human beings, including our languages. That's fascinating. I think for me, listening to what you just said, there were two, two important aspects. One is that you're, you have a, a sort of an intrinsic interest in analysis and, and computational science. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is the connection um, to people in the field, the sort of the mentoring aspect or the, uh, uh, that, that human um, reaching out and helping aspect that opened the, opened the door maybe intellectually for you to proceed with your own uh, career development. Yeah, that's right. That's wonderful. My guest in this episode of Blind Date with Knowledge has been Zojan uh, Su, professor of, uh, assistant professor of the Ingenuity Labs and Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Queen's. If you have a question about anything related to research that you'd like discussed by our guests, or if you have comments about today's conversation with Dr. Zhu, please email me, Barry Kaplan at bdwk at cfrc.ca. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.